This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Imagine living your whole life believing that human beings are inherently good. Imagine being very confident in your belief. And then what if one day you come across an article or research discussing how human beings are inherently selfish and evil. How would that make you feel? We've all experienced that uncomfortable feeling when we come across information that contradicts our existing beliefs. It's called cognitive dissonance. But what exactly is it and how do we overcome it? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Joel Lowe. He's a consultant clinical psychologist. Welcome to the show, Dr. Joel. How are you? Hey, Darshan. Thanks for having me. So let's start with um, an overview. What exactly is cognitive dissonance? Well, it is what it says on the label, right? Um, basically, it's when we have conflicting information we're trying to make sense of. And in, in most cases, this information that we have is conflicting. And that's why we have that dissonance, especially when it's something that challenges an established truth or something we believed in for a long time. That's what dissonance is like. So could you explain what exactly goes through our mind when we come across these conflicting information or um, information that contradicts our existing beliefs? Yeah. So I think as human beings, we like to know things, <laughs> meaning to say that you know, we don't like the unknown, we don't like uncertainty and things like that, right? right. So anytime when we are confronted with new realities, new truths, I think it takes a while for us to process and to accept this uh, new information. Um, and I think that's why cognitive dissonance occurs, right? Uh, in most cases, it's something that takes a while to settle. If if it does, in some cases, it never does, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, like I said, from the very start, like, you know, humans like certainty. We like to know things. And when we don't know or when it's challenged, that's when it gets a bit funky. Right. Right. Um- Dr. Joel, dissonance is not some, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of technical sort of term for many people. Are there mm. specific emotions that tend to be more pronounced when we experience this cognitive dissonance? Oh, that's a great question, right? I think in most cases, um, the, the one of the more primary emotions you feel is anxiety, right? Mm. Because it's like when you learn something that's so contrary to what you know or what is an established truth for you, I think that can be quite jarring for a lot of people and naturally you become a bit anxious, a bit scared about what's going to happen, what's to what, what is to come. Um, some other people who are a bit more um, relaxed about uh, things like this can be also very excited because, you know, you're learning something new, right? It's a new discovery, for example, scientific um, breakthroughs and things like that. This is oftentimes quite exciting and quite interesting. Um, some other people might also be quite angry, you know, because mm-hmm. I think whenever we have uh, traditions or things that we have, we hold in place for a long time and suddenly it's getting challenged, it can be quite um, difficult for people to accept and then they react with anger, right? Right. So in the whole spectrum, really, of emotions that you can encounter. And I think that really boils down to how we deal with um, curveballs, how we deal with uh, new things, basically. And it's an individualized thing, Right. Now, you mentioned two categories of emotions there, um, at least from, from you know, what that I could pick up, that is anxiety and anger. I would mm. sort of lump it as a negative emotion. I don't know if negative is the right word. Emotions that people perhaps don't want to feel, whereas Correct. excitement Correct. Is, is something more on the positive side. So would you say that right. co- cognitive dissonance can 
cause not just negative em, em, uh, sort of emotions. Maybe it, d- it does that for some people, a lot of yep. people, but for others, it can um, cause a sort of positive emotion as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, you know how when you've got really young kids mm-hmm. and they are learning about the world naturally because they do when you go to school and stuff like that, right. that sense of wonder, the sense of bewilderment that they get when they find out that, you know, cars don't move because I push them along because there's an engine in there and things like that. I think that's that sense of childlike excitement about new things is a possible uh, outcome when we are faced with quantum dissonance. Not always, but sometimes that can be the case, right? right. Uh, me as a psychologist, for example, anytime I read up on any new journals or discoveries on therapeutic methods, for example, or diagnoses, I still get really excited by it because I think there's so much more of the, the mind that we don't know about psychology that we don't know about it. So it's definitely a certainly a possibility, but whether or not you have it is really a, a you you do you kind of thing, like, right? It's an individual kind of thing. Right. So speaking of that, right, to what extent do individual differences such as personality traits or mm. even cultural background um mm. influence the kind of experience we have um during cognitive dissonance? Oh, it plays a big, big role, I think, right? Mm. Actually, some of us are, as a, in terms of our personality, we're a bit more open-minded, a bit more open to changes, a bit more flexible, a bit more robust in terms of our resiliency, for example, and things like this. I think these are the kind of people who would face this kind of dissonance with an open mind, with a sense of curiosity rather than resentment or close-offness in that sense, right? And they can only engender good things, right? And you flip it on its head, some people who are a bit more, um, you know, uh, stable in terms of the way they think or more traditional, mm-hmm. more uh, find it a bit more inflexible, for example, naturally they're going to face this kind of dissonance with a bit more resistance, right? Um, I think you're right to also mention that culture plays a big part as well. I mm-hmm. think for those of us who, are, who live or grew up in very much more... Um, rigid cultural types, cultural styles, right? Cultural styles that are more closed off, for example, who are more um, uh, what you call it collectivistic, meaning to say that, you know, we just do our own thing and we don't try and branch out and do other things. That can also play a very big role as well because that really shapes or determines the way we see the world. Um, and that will also determine how we deal with uh, these kind of uh, changes and things that happens to us. Mm. Dr. Joel, why do people tend to seek out information that confirms their existing beliefs Mm -hmm. um, and avoid contradictory information? So, for example, um, you tend to see um, people, let's say, when they want to, even when they Google something, right? Mm. Um, They want to uh, prove something to their dad or whatever. The way they Google it um, is often framed in a a sort of leading questions or, or, you know, and trying to look for things that already confirm their existing beliefs rather than just putting something open out there um, and and you know trying to navigate things that way why do people tend to do this because i think a lot of people do it and sometimes they may not even realize they are doing it yeah yeah that's a really good point i think that's that the last part that you said i think that's really the crux of it right Mm. i think because human beings we crave familiarity we crave you know consistency we crave patterns like we, we enjoy that right um, and that speaks to the whole larger issue about heuristics and how, you know, that how, that's how we deal with the world because it just makes life easier for us, right? Mm-hmm. But moving from that, I think that's why a lot of times when we have these kind of biases, it's unconscious, right? Because it's something that we know and that's how we see the world and naturally that's how we express ourselves as well. That's how we understand the world, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we have those, you know, un- un- unconscious reactions or decisions that we make that 
would focus us towards that uh, point of view that we know and we're familiar with, right? Right. Um, and I think also there's this sense of um, comfort slash uh, familiarity slash uh, positive emotion that you get when um, you find out things or you are with people who are like you. I think it's, it goes back to those uh, evolutionary um, uh, backgrounds that we have about being herd animals and social creatures and things like that, right? Mm. I think we oftentimes find a lot of comfort, a lot of safety and security when we are with other people who are like-minded to us because it's the herd, herd mentality kind of thing, right? So naturally, we also want to gear towards information and news or things that we know about, that we're familiar with, right? Because then that way, then we are, okay, these are my people, these are people who think the same way that I do and therefore will be safe, right? right? As opposed to some, you know, young upstart who has this fancy idea that no one agrees with or understands. That's scary because that will shake things up. That means I have to relearn things, I have to relearn who I am, what I am and all that kind of stuff, right? And right. that can be jarring. So I think that's why there's this unconscious, you know, bias, if you want to call it that, towards that kind of um, things that we're familiar with, Right. So you, you you mentioned bias a couple of times, um, unconscious mm. bias. I'm wondering if if bias, um, whether it's mm. um, unconscious bias, um, confirmation bias, is mm. it basically um, you know, on the same coin, like two sides of the same coin when discussing um, um uh, what is it, cognitive dissonance? Mm. Um, is it the, the, the sort of opposite of cognitive dissonance? How how do you contextualize that? Mm, this is a really good question, right? Um, I think if the way I see it, cognitive dissonance is, dissonance is what's happening. Hmm. Uh, the bias is what we do, right? Right. In dissonance is the, you know that that contradiction, right? We're trying to hold two different disparate ideas to disparate ideas together. That bias is what we tend to do to uh, consciously or unconsciously to veer towards what we are familiar with, what we know, basically, right? Mm-hmm. I think bias is the outcome, I suppose, or the action that we take, and then the dissonance is what we're experiencing, what we're going through, right? Now, you you mentioned that you know uh, people tend to look for information that they're familiar with, right? They are trying to to confirm their existing beliefs. So, for example, just a, a random thing could be, let's say, the way people Google. If you want to get into a debate about whether we should legalize cannabis, um, mm. one thing like you tend to see people Google is instead of. Um, what are the impacts of cannabis? People say, what are the benefits of, of right. cannabis, right? right. And on, you can be on the flip side as well. Instead of Googling uh, what are the, uh, you know, what's the various impacts of cannabis, you Google what are the harmful effects of cannabis. So right. either either way, right? So I'm wondering if you broaden that, in what ways can this, um, you know, can cognitive dissonance impact mm-hmm. our decision-making behavior? Oh, really? Um, there's also this uh, situation where we call it um, uh, the wind tunnel effect, basically. right? So you basically go down this tunnel where everything is uh, built around your own perspectives. And it's a very natural thing that we do, right? Because we see things a certain way, we naturally choose things a certain way, we engage things a certain way as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a really fantastic way to experience this uh, tunnel would be your... Um, Social media, right? Do you know how you put uh, you know, all your social media accounts and things like that? Because we engage with content that we enjoy, that we like, and we don't with the content we don't like. Then the algorithms on the social media accounts and things like that will naturally give you more of what you want, right? Right. And over time, what you'll find is that you only fill with or you know, you're you're filled with content that you are happy with, that you engage with, that, that you like. 
And I think that just becomes this echo chamber where it just reinforces itself again and again and again. Mm. So much so that whenever there is a something that's dissenting, something that's different from what you think about or what your social media, for example, tells you about, it's so jarring that people feel very, um, you know, scared about it, right? Mm. So an, a good iteration of this would be, you know, whenever elections are occurring or there's some right. political geopolitical turmoil and things like that. Again, naturally, because of our predilections, our preferences and things like that, our social media, our world is shaped a lot by what we engage with. So naturally, it's just one side of the coin, basically. So whenever there is something else that's opposing that, it's just really, really funky, right? Right. Uh, so if you want to do this as a thought experiment, right, next time you are on social media, try following accounts you don't typically follow, like mm. people ultra-orthodox, for example, or ultra-liberal, depending on, you know, which way you are inclined towards. And just start following a few of those posts and you see what comes out on your feed and notice how you feel when you read those kind of posts. I think that's a really good example of how what you mentioned, Dashan, at the very start, how this can influence our decision making, right? Because you will decide just based on what we know rather than what is reality, what is fact out there, what's fair. And I think that's a big impact on on what we do with our lives, basically. Let's go for a very quick break. I do want to dive a little bit deeper into the social media um, after these messages. On the show with me today is Dr. Joel Lowe, consultant, clinical psychologist. We will be back with more on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Joel Lowe, consultant, clinical psychologist, and we're discussing cognitive dissonance, that feeling you experience when you come across information that contradicts your beliefs. So, Dr. Joel, can cognitive dissonance affect the willingness of someone to change one's mind or adapt one's beliefs? I don't think so. I mean, I'm being very technical and about All it. Right. that, you know, I think cognitive dissonance is like I said earlier on, is what we experience, is what we go through, right? It's just an encounter that we have like, whenever we are provided with perspectives, information, whatever it is that is different from ours, right? Mm-hmm. I think what would make it hard for us to consider other things is how we react to situations, right? Right. So you know how we there's this the what's this, what's that saying go um whenever you encounter something that's difficult or stressful or a threat, you can either fly, fight or freeze like basically that's the okay. three reactions that you have. Right. And I think using that as a basis of what I'm trying to say here is whenever we encounter cognitive dissonance, we have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And those, the freeze, flight, fly kind of thing, that's the decision process that we need to consider, right? <clears throat> We can either choose to fight it, we can either choose to go with it, or we can choose to just totally ignore it and say, hey, that's not my reality, I don't care about that, right? Right. That reaction process, that choice-making process, that's what will determine what we do with that dissonance. Dissonance is just a situation, just something that we encounter. It's like, you know, going to your favorite nasi lemak shop and finding out that they sold out, for example. What do you think about it, right? I think that's the reaction, and that's what makes it so difficult to determine what someone would do. Right. Are there differences in how cognitive dissonance operates in emotionally charged beliefs compared to more neutral ones? So, for example, an emotionally charged belief, I think for most people, 
um, who are religious would be religion. So for example, mm -hmm. um, I'm a Christian, Islam or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, and I believe that my religion is truth. Whereas mm -hmm. a more neutral sort of um, belief is um, is like, like something like what that example you gave. I'm excited. I go to the Nasi Lemak stall and then it's yeah. sold out. Or for right. example, I believe that my grandmother uses chili padi instead of chili powder in her cooking. And then mm -hmm. one day you go to the kitchen and watch her cooking. And then in, it's in fact chili powder and not chili padi. You know, something right. very neutral. I'm wondering if the kind of um, um, belief um, impacts the dissonance that you experience. I, I probably want to put out there that when we talk about grandparents or grandmothers cooking, that's quite emotional for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> <It's quite neutral. laughs> um, just the same with my mom uh, and her mutton curry. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think um, emotions really lend a lot of weight la, to a decision-making mm -hmm. process that any one of us do la, for mm -hmm. that matter, right? And I think it's because, for at least from my 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 point of view, la, right? Mm -hmm. Emotions are symptomatic of the thoughts and beliefs that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning to say that if something matters to you, if you are thinking very strongly about it, something naturally you have emotional reaction towards it, right? So, for example, if you are not a menu fan, you know, if you see menu losing one two to Newcastle, it doesn't matter, right? Because mm. you know, right. But if you're a menu fan, that matters a lot, right? And I think that emotional reaction is symptomatic of the thoughts and beliefs that we have, right? right. So you're right in the sense that you know, if it's something that's emotionally connected to us, we are going to it's going to impact the way we deal with cognitive dissonance because it's so important to us. Right. Mm. So it's like chicken egg kind of thing, right? Because you feel strongly for it, therefore it's harder for you to change your thought perspectives and whatnot. Versus something that's neutral, meaning to say that there's no emotional reaction to it, meaning to say that there is no you're not you don't feel or think very strongly about it. So naturally it's going to be easier for you to change your perspectives if you need to, basically, right? Right. So that's for me, I see it from that perspective instead. Your emotions give you an indication of how important that something is to you and therefore determine how hard or easy for you to change your perspectives. Right. So let's focus on the more emo emotionally charged beliefs in this, uh, in this next question, right? I'm wondering if cognitive dissonance can make us commit even further to our existing beliefs or in other words, latching on even harder to what's mm. comfortable, right? So for example, if you are of a particular religion, um, mm. And then you believe your religion is truth, and then you know you you come across an an article um, that that talks about how you know that your religion is is full of contradictions and it's not the truth and it's bad for society. Just for example, um, could that you know because you gave the various ways in which people were response a flight or flight uh, yep. fight or flight type of um, um sort of a, a responses. I'm mm. wondering if one of that response could then be. You know, I, I feel so uncomfortable with yep. this opposing beliefs, this this challenge to my beliefs that yep. I, in response, instead of engaging with it, I sort mm. of retract into my existing beliefs even stronger. Yep. Um, is, is that a, a possible reaction to dissonance? Definitely, definitely. Mm. And that's why you see through the course of human history, there's so many times where people were so resistant to change, right? Mm. There's so many times where if there were more open-minded lies opposed to, you know, new discoveries or scientific breakthroughs, we'd be all the better for it in that sense, right? But I think because humans are humans, right? I think, like I said earlier on, we crave familiarity, we crave for things that are familiar and comfortable and quote-unquote safe for us, that anything that challenges that convention, even though it could be better for us in the long run, 
um, it's hard. It's, it's something that we really don't want to slash don't like to engage with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, I think that's just how we have been primed in that sense. Oh, not primed, sorry. This is how we evolve over time, right? right. You know, our caveman ancestors way back when, you know, the reason why we don't go around trying all kinds of different berries and fruits is because mm-hmm. potentially some of them could be poisonous and could kill us, right? Right. So in a weird kind of way, it's almost like a protective factor, which mm. talk about cognitive dissonance, right? It's a protective factor that doesn't really protect you at times. It can actually be detrimental to you, right? Right. So it's something that, you know, we have to sometimes, I think, force ourselves to consider the possibilities. Sometimes we have to force ourselves to say that, okay, yes, I know this is safe. I know this is comfortable. But maybe if I follow ways, it'll be a faster way to go home. We can just try that out and see one time and see what happens to us, right? Mm. That's a choice that we have to make, like, I think. Right. So on that note, right, um, in what ways, um, if at all, does cognitive dissonance lead people to be pressured to conform or mm. vice versa? Does it play a role? Big one, big mm. one. I think a lot of times leaders uh, use this to their advantage, right? right. That herd mentality, that whole uh, in-group versus out-group kind of uh, thinking process, right? It's something that leaders across the world, across history, has used multiple times to try and get things um, done their way in that mm-hmm. sense right you know I mean we referred through so much news uh, all across the world where people leaders would say things like oh you know um, do this vote this because that uh, you don't know what the other side is going to do they're going to hurt you they're going to harm you and things like that right. and I think that 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 disparity I suppose is something that we as humans naturally are, are worried about are afraid of in that sense right because we just don't know what it's going to be about right, right. so even though rationally if you think about it is doing one thing one way always going to be the best way for you? The answer is going to be a no, right? Mm. But because the other alternative, the possibility that you could go belly up, the possibility that you could uh, fail on us, for example, is so scary. It's so you know daunting that we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to focus in on what I know like, in that sense, right? right? So I think it definitely plays a big, big role in terms of uh, making us uh, go into a certain directions or being manipulated in certain ways like, because of that dissonance. Like. You mentioned leaders. I also want to talk about, you know, um, big tech, um, social media uh, um, founders and and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, because you touched on it a little bit before the break, I want to dive a little deeper. Yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, social media is sort of designed in currently, right? In, in, in the way we yeah. use social media today, the algorithms um, that mm. sort of govern social media. I'm wondering if it's designed with cognitive dissonance um, theory in mind. I'm not saying that the, these big tech founders specifically um, went and looked for a, a psychological theory like cognitive dissonance right. and, then, and then designed it. But I'm wondering if it relates because it feels like, like you mentioned before this, right? Um, social media is functions in a way that it, it it's the algorithms are functioning in a way that prevents cognitive mm. dissonance um for as 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 you know at, at all costs so you you see things as much um and just things that confirm your existing beliefs things that right. don't give you um 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 this cognitive dissonance and i'm wondering if it's because you know if if so the social media companies know that you know, things, if you come across things that are, you know, uncomfortable to you, 
Um, mm. Sometimes the immediate reaction is, okay, I read this one, one article, it challenges my belief. Now I'm going to close, mm. close social media because that was so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going to go and, and have a lie down and think about life and things right. like that. Whereas yeah. on the flip side, if they put you in these echo chambers that just confirm your existing beliefs, regardless right. of what the reality is, then you can go, you know, it, it, it's that feel good type of feeling you yeah. get when when your uh, your beliefs are confirmed so mm. you just go from one article to the next article and get mm. that constant endorphin boost um, how, mm. how do you see that you know i do wonder whether the having more positive uh, to you content versus incongruent um, no, sorry congruent to you versus incongruent to you content whether it works that way or not looking mm. at all those reddit walls and instagram walls and things like that where people have mm. different comments you know, those comment battles that people have, right? I do wonder sometimes whether having something that, that's uh, dissenting is actually better for engagement than not. Right. Um, but, okay, assuming that all the social media people are altruistic and neutral and universally good, like, just assuming that for a mm. second year, right? I think it's not so much that they would create want to create a scenario like that. Rather, it, they're giving us a choice to make. You know how when you sign up for, you know, whatever social media account you sign up for, mm. one of the first things they ask you is, hey, what do you want to hear about? What do you what kind of content do you want to consume? Right. Right. And I have a feeling that we create our own echo chamber chambers because mm. that's you know, what we're comfortable with, what we engage with, what we're familiar with, right? I mean, if you're a big Harry Potter fan, then naturally yeah, you're gonna see a lot more Harry Potter content. Like, right. To see that the social media outlets are forcing an agenda of Harry Potter onto the world. Right. I don't think so. I don't think they care too much about it because at the end of the day, if they ever try and push any one narrative, and I'm not saying that it won't have an influence, I'm sure it will have a big influence. Mm. We're seeing that in some cases nowadays, right? It, it's detrimental to them because those people who don't agree with that kind of uh, sentiment are going to disengage from their, 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 their social media, right? right. Their, their services, right? I think it, it, it benefits them to be as universally neutral as possible because that way then everyone will have their own lane, their, their own niche, their own echo chamber to engage with and to enjoy, like, basically. Mm. Right? But then, Dr. Joel, how do you account for the flip side where people say social media causes more polarization by design? And, and what I mean by that is, so um, when I monitored the, the previous US elections, yep. I realized that I had to actively seek out um, and, and I do that because I'm a journalist. I really want to know um, what's on the other side. And I'm one of those who reacts to, you know, dissonance with more of a wonder and joy and let's see and, and let's discover kind of mindset not for mm. even when I experience negative dissonance but broadly especially in politics and all um, I do that but I realized that I had to actively seek out what the Donald Trump's of the world were saying because yeah. a lot of what were appearing on my um, um feed were either the Democrats or even people more left than the Democrats. Mm. Like that mm. just kept popping up on my social media. And right. for me to understand what people from the other side are thinking, I had mm. to actively go and seek it out because it right. felt like those things were not appearing on my on my uh, um, so feed at all, mm. right? What do you think, uh, how, how do you respond to that? I think, okay, so this is me putting on my psychologist researcher hat. On right. Be curious to see what would happen if you do the same searches based on your own personal accounts mm. versus a new new neutral account that you just opened that has no history right. that's you know baggage free for example. I'd be curious to see if you do the same searches whether you get the same hits or not, right? Mm. 
Now, assuming that you don't, uh, you do get the same hits, then okay lah. We can say that social media is, you know, creating this narrative that they want us to prescribe to, perhaps. Right? And I don't think any you or I are naive enough to think that doesn't happen. I'm sure right. there might be some motivation. I don't know, but that's pretty like that. But assuming that's not happening, right? My assumption is that social media accounts would show you whatever it is that you are aligned with or or, or you've engaged with in the past, right? Mm. So for you, like Dashran, for example, if you've been engaging in more democratic left left is it left left leaning left leaning mm-hmm. kind of content, for example, naturally the social media accounts are going to gear you towards that kind of content because that's the thing that you want to hear or you've been engaged with in the mm. past, right? And that's why it's hard for you to then um you know find people from the Republicans, for example, and things like that. If you've been more neutral in your searches, so for example, this is politics, this is something perhaps that you feel strongly for. Mm-hmm. Let's say this was something like, I don't know, um, something really random like uh, My Little Pony fan group kind of thing, right? <laughs> you know, let's say like there's something arbitrary like that. Right. My suspicion is that you're going to get very neutral content unless you're a big, and I know this because I've got a four-year-old and eight-year-old at home mm-hmm. girls, a big Pinkie Pie fan, you know, and then you get mm-hmm. a lot more Pinkie Pie content, for example, right? So mm-hmm. my assumption is that it's not that it's giving you information um, on purpose, but it's based on your content dissonance because you are geared towards a certain way because you've been engaging in content a certain way. That's why you get the content that you get, right? Right. Now, I think this, when that example that you said about you having to search out and reach out for the people, uh, the information from the other side, you have to actively do it and actively um, disregard other kind of content that you're getting. Mm-hmm. It's a really good example of cognitive dissonance at work because even in our own minds, right, whenever we face information that is dissonant from what we do or what we believe in, mm. we have to actively pursue that other side of uh, information, the other line of uh, questioning, for example. Right. So it's actually quite a good metaphor slash analogy slash whatever you want to call it, right, of what we go through as well. If we want to consider another size point of view, it's an active process. We need to actively engage and try and find out the information. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because we're just going to be comfortable where we're at. Right. So when navigating the information world or just in life in general, Mm -hmm. how do we overcome um, maybe overcome is not necessarily the right word, but how do we navigate um, this cognitive dissonance and react with a more open and inquisitive mind compared to what you mentioned earlier, um, anxiety, anger, um, you know, this desire to, okay, I just want to shut it down and, 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 and I want to, mm. you know, um, disengage. How do we get towards a more excited approach? Oh, this is something that contradicts with my belief um, I want to explore that more rather than hide in my cave, for example. I think that's quite hard, right? Like mm. the saying I like to use, you know, you can bring the horse to the river, but you can't force the horse to drink the water. Like, right? right. At the end of the day, you can't say that the information is not out there. I mean, it's the internet. You can find anything you want on that mm. place, right? Um, but the question is, are you going to go seek it out? Right. Like for me, for example, personally, you know, during you know election cycles and things like that. Um, I have my own predilections, of course, you know, but right. I purposefully follow people from the other side of the pond, yeah. this river, just to see what else is there. Because I think sometimes we get too suckered in or too too comfortable with the narratives that our side is espousing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to be exposed to the other side because it, it serves me well to do so. Because, it, you know, whenever I see clients from a different political perspectives, um, religious perspectives and whatnot, it serves me well for my profession to know where they, everyone is coming from, like basically. Right. 
But that's where I'm coming from. That's my choice, right? Mm-hmm. How many other people are going to make willing to make that choice, right? So I I believe I think one thing that could help with that process that you're looking for, Rashan, is I think to ask yourself, do I want to know more? Am I mm-hmm. curious? Am I interested in finding out more? Right. That's the first one. And the answer is yes. Then the next follow up question is, are you okay to be uncomfortable with it? Because naturally, whenever you get information that is so incongruous with what you believe in. It's going to roll you up. It's going to make you agitated. It's going to make you pissed off. Even right. Right? That's also a certainty, a possibility. And if you're okay with that, then my answer to you would be go ahead and find, go find out, right? Go engage with this kind of content, this kind of material, and then learn for yourself. Lah. Make your own decisions, I think. I think at the end of the day, the ideally, lah, what we should go into any situation lah, is that my reality is my reality for now. Right. right? It doesn't have to be my reality forever. And I think once we have that conception that, you know, whatever I hold dear to is the gospel truth, is the only thing that I can prescribe to and it's the only thing that matters, that's it. You know, it's game mm. over. There's nothing else to be had, lah, right? Right. So if we can remain that, you know, curious five, six, seven-year-old selves about that we used to be and that we just want to find out more and just want to learn, I think that's the best way to go about it, I would think. I'm wondering if understanding or an understanding of cognitive dissonance theory um, can be applied in, let's say, educational settings, let's say Mm -hmm. schools, universities to facilitate learning and open-mindedness. Because I think Mm. the natural, some people, um, Mm. and and again, it's it's really individualized, like you said, it really depends on your personality type. But, you know, when we look at education, when we look at um, institutes Mm. of learning, what we don't want is for people to have this ignorance is bliss type of mindset. Like, you know, I am I believe what I want to believe and I'm happy and that's okay. Because yeah. that is counterproductive to learning. To learn yeah. is to engage with information that could very well be, um, you know, a contradictory uh, mm. to what you are already uh, believing right now. Um, how, how do you, how can the understanding of cognitive dissonance theory be applied in educational settings? Idealistically, I think that is an idea that should be taught at the very start. Mm. Right? I mean to say that, you know, I think there's no way to make anyone choose any which way they they, they deal with this corner dissonance or this sense of uncom- discomfort. But I think if you prep them from the very start, I mean to say that, you know, at the onset of, let's say, you know, high level education or maybe maybe not primary school because like, it's a bit young, maybe like secondary school, for example. Mm. The first thing you teach them is the fact that, hey, you know, the stuff that you learn here will make you feel uncomfortable because of this idea or concept of cognitive dissonance. Mm. The fact that you have one worldview and there are so many other worldviews out there might make it so that you learn something, you encounter something that makes you feel funky, makes you feel weird and uncomfortable and all that. And I think when you have that kind of a preamble, when you prepare the students that way, whenever they encounter something new that's 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 jarring to them, for example, instead of reacting to old traditional ways of fear and and, and you know antagonism antag- and being feeling antagonized and pushing things away, they are then hopefully able to recognize that hey, this is that constant distant thing, thing my teacher was telling me about. That's why right. I feel. I wonder where this is what where this is coming from and then you 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 prepare them for it basically and then therefore then they get allowed to be curious about it so this is something that we do in sessions as well right so whenever we want to share different techniques or different ideas to clients you can just share it to them of course but if you give them a preamble so they know what to look out for they're a lot more accepting towards it because then they realize ah this is what's happening this is what's going on right right so I think maybe that is one the one of the best ways I can think of to use cognitive dissonance positively in that sense. Right. I think them know beforehand so that they can prepare for it, like basically. 
Yeah, I think just from a personal experience as well. I think because I learned about cognitive <clears throat> dissonance first in university, I think in my <clears throat> second year of university, and it really did help because right. prior to this, um, when when I came across information that contradicted my belief, um, or as much as I'm an inquisitive person or whatever, right. there was some uh, of there there were moments where you would just feel like shutting down because you're like surely this is wrong, you know, because mm. you're feeling that such that negative fit, negative emotions um, in you, that anxiety right. or whatever, that your natural response sometimes is like, no, this is wrong and I should, you know, not engage with this. Mm. But when I learned what cognitive dissonance was, whenever I came across information that really contradicted my beliefs, instead of saying this is wrong, I just cognitive dissonance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I would respond that way. Also, this so this is the cognitive dissonance feeling I'm I'm uh, experiencing. Okay, sure. um, let's just um. So I I know what it is. So it's <laughs> it's not so, you know it feels like you you once you understand what it is, then you know right. that okay. So that's why I'm feeling this. That's it's just right. cognitive dissonance. Don't worry. You can just engage it. Uh, engage that's right. It. That's right. Yeah. The more you know, the better decisions you can make. Right. So rather than just leading into the feelings that we have, which is going to be you know strong in most cases. Right. Uh, we can then rationally think, okay, I'm feeling this way because it's different, because it's new. But right. we feel a bit, no, let's just see where this goes, right? Absolutely. Mm. Right. Okay. Before we wrap this very fascinating conversation, Dr. Joel, would you mm. have a final word for us on cognitive di- dissonance and how to navigate things when we experience that? Right. Um, I think I end by saying this, right? You mm-hmm. do um, meaning to say that, you know, I think we all have different appetites, different thresholds for discomfort and things that are uh, different from what we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like me, for example, I'm a naturally, quite, like you, Dashwan, I'm quite a curious person. So mm-hmm. I tend to lean towards things that I don't know, things that make me uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, because I know that by doing so, I learn a lot more. Right. right? And and like, for example, like I said, it's not following posts from people from across the pond and things like that it helps me grow as a person because mm-hmm. then I learn where they're coming from, what they're going through, what they're experiencing, which is very different from my perspective, my life that I'm leading, like, basically. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's my tendency. I lean into things like that. If you are not so in, uh, not that way inclined and you're more careful about it, you want to preserve your own uh, well-being and all that, you know, again, you do you, right? There's no need to, 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 to challenge this, right? But just remember that there are other perspectives out there. You don't have to consider it. You don't have to engage with it. Just recognize that other people would have that, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's enough, right? So, yeah, you do you. You know, you figure out <laughs> your thresholds and your own appetites and engage with it as best you can. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Joe. No worries. Thanks for having me, Dasha. That was Dr. Joel Lowe, consultant, clinical psychologist. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.